This podcast may be explicit in nature and may contain content that may not be appropriate for listeners under the age of 16. Now that that's out of the way, are you ready to learn some cool shit and have a laugh or two? Let the marauding begin. Marauders podcast, the show where we maraud on all cultures to enlighten and entertain. Today we are marauding on women's health and endometriosis, and we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Jim Ashby, here with us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you. And I'll give you give everybody a little bit of information about Dr. Ashby. So she is my OBGYN and is she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And so a little bit about her background. So Dr. Ashby is a board certified OBGYN provider and a fellow in the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She was born in the beautiful island of Barbados and moved to New Jersey at the age of 18 to pursue a higher level of education. She graduated as summa cum laude with her bachelor's of science in biology at Bloomfield College in New Jersey. She also earned her medical degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. While in college and medical school, she served six years in the U.S. Army Reserves. Dr. Ashby completed her residency training at FSU OBGYN program in Pensacola, Florida, and then worked at Generations OBGYN, a unit of women's care in Florida for eight years. So until she started Gentle Hands OBGYN, her focus was to focus her time and attention on growing the needs of women living in the new Tampa and Wesley Chapel area. Dr. Ashby sees patients like me in her office for routine and problem gynecological care. She provides in-office surgery as well as laparoscopic and robotic surgeries. She also provides low and high risk OB care. Uh, And this is just a little bit of her list. I'm sure she has so many more different accolades and things that she has done, um, but we are very happy to have her today. Um, Like I mentioned, she's my provider and I've learned so much and I've had got great care. Um, And this is a perfect time to have her. So thank you and welcome, you know, welcome again. And I forgot to ask you, is this your first podcast? This is my first podcast, even though I love talking so much, I've never actually done a podcast. (laughs) 
That's great. That's great. I know you were saying that you've done a lot of different talks and I know podcasting is like so different for so many people and they're the, kind of entering it for the first time. So it's definitely a little bit different. <laughs> yes. Well, I couldn't think of a better person to do the first one with than you. So thank you so much oh, again for having me. You. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Well, we're going to take good care of you. So thank we're going to... We're going to start off with the icebreaker. So this is everybody. This is how we welcome people into our marauders. You know, marauders are and our last person um, who was just on. She was like, what is a marauder? I got to, you know, got to ask. And so the marauder, uh, we took it from, you know, obviously we live in Tampa, right? So the marauders, people think of pirates, right? Yeah. They kind of take things. And so as culture marauders, we kind of take the best of those cultures and provide an enlighten and entertain people and any of guests. And so this show, obviously, Women's Health, it's Women's History Month, um, and so that's what we're focused on now. But everybody that comes on for them to be the, to get on and to, you know, be associated as a marauder, they have to go through a little bitty test, just a little one. Okay. No, I it's harmless. It's harmless. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. Okay. So it's just for, part of our questions. We actually get some um, pod decks is, is the organization that we uh, get some of their decks. And so they're really great, like little tools. So they have different questions and you can kind of just like randomly select and they're just really good icebreakers. So if you ever like, if you ever have a speech or anything and you have people or students and things like that, this is a good icebreaker to have them pull and then ask questions um, and kind of just, you know, figure out how people answer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just, just have a fun and be silly with it. Okay. So my first one. This might be an easy one for you. You have lots of talents. <laughs> so my first question for you is, what is your most unusual talent? Oh, wow. I, I, <laughs> now I see why these are icebreakers. I don't think I have any talents that are un, unusual. I, I like singing and I think I can sing well, but I don't think that that's, un, I don't think that's unusual at all. Um, other than that, that's, that, that's it. I know that's so boring, right? It's it's okay. You know, you, if you sing outside and people start closing their doors, that might be unusual. So, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another one. This one might be easier. So, yeah. if you had a personal mascot, what would it be? Personal mascot. Ah, a person. Wow, that's um. Huh. What? Never thought of that. An animal, or you did go to FSU, so I mean, and, I know. Oh dear, here we're gonna say that. I know this is gonna come totally out of left field. Okay, so if I had out a mascot, I know this is so weird. I'm very much into Star Trek, so it would be something oh. like a a galaxy, or like an image that looks like a galaxy, or something of the stars, because I I I feel like like looking out to the stars is like looking out to the future so oh, i know that's a weird mascot but i would definitely go with something I like, like that. that i like that that's a good one that's a very good one I, that was very unique so thank you good all right so this one since you like music this is your last one okay you're doing very okay. well so far you can blow it here but you're doing very well <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if I didn't think we were going to be laughing this much. Okay, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Laughter is the key with the soul to the heart, right? Yes. So, um, so if you got stuck in an elevator and were forced to listen to only one song, what song would you pick? 
Wow, that's 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 really hard because there are a lot of songs I love. You're gonna think this is gonna be on on repeat. It's just yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I this is gonna totally come out of left field. Billy Jean by Michael Jackson. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sing in the elevator. Yes. Okay. I don't matter how long. Feel, correct, because I feel that that you could keep listening to that and be totally entertained for a long time. Long time. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Especially since you got videos to go along with that, so it's like in yes. your mind. You kind of like because, right. By the time you're done, I could do the whole dance because I played it in my mind so many times. <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you for being such a good sport. You oh, are yeah. a marauder. You are officially a marauder. So we don't give away anything. It's just a nice bragging right. So you just tell people, "Hey, I'm a marauder. I was on my first podcast, and I I marauded." You know. Thank bragging you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we jump into questions. Um, and getting to know you a little bit more. We always like to start off with just a Marauder Minute. And this is just a way for us to enlighten. So for this month, against the month of March, so it's not only Women's History Month, but it's also National Endometriosis Awareness Month. So you can kind of see my shirt. I got an F endo shirt for everyone uh, <laughs> for endometriosis. So for all my endo woman warriors out there, this episode is for you, boo. This one is for you. So we're going to learn a little bit more about endometriosis today from our expert. Um, but also just to give you a little bit of brief information about what endo is, it's, it's a health condition where endometrial tissue grows outside of the uterus and causes extreme pain and discomfort, which is just the bare minimum of the symptoms. Uh, but this condition affects an estimated 176 million women worldwide. And I am one of those women um, that have been affected uh, by endo, but it survived, you know, um, and it's because of, you know, awareness and communications like this and having opportunities to tell stories. Uh, this was not an, always a topic where women got together and had the space to talk about vaginal health in, in my culture and in my family. It wasn't something that we, we did, but yet it's something that we lived through. Um, and as women, we, we really need to create that space. And so a women's, you know, the National Endometriosis you know, foundations and, and are going to all talk about different awareness and different ways to bring awareness to this. And one is just speaking, just telling your story, seeing if someone else maybe has something similar, um, finding support groups, advocating for your health. You have to be a huge advocate for your health. And we'll, we'll talk later about that today. Um, and, and just finding people and also a provider that, that is supportive um, and educated on the matter that can help you. And so that's why I brought Dr. Ashby here today, because she has been the one to help me along with my family and my support team um, and help she's helped me find more supportive tribes that I could be a part of um, to help me learn more about endometriosis and what's going on with my body and also how to heal and not just heal physically but mentally um, and that's all part of what we'll, we'll discuss today. One thing that I'm extremely proud of that that we do here um, at the Culture Marauders is that we really advocate for 
for people telling their stories and using their voice. So we provide training to women, children, um, and anybody who's interested in learning how to podcast. It's called Marad, Marad the Mic. We teach them how to use their voice, how to strategize um, and organize their podcast, how to use the equipment. Um, and then we also provide services for those who already got started on their podcast, but maybe it takes a little bit of extra time um, doing some of that editing work and distribution. So we take that from those individuals and we can actually do that for them. So it's podcast production as well as training, um, again, to, to uplift and elevate those voices and tell your stories. So now getting into it, everything. So Dr. Ashby, thank you again. It's been a little while since I've seen you, a couple weeks or no, a couple months actually. A couple months. Yeah. Since last time I've seen you. So it's definitely good yeah. to see you. It's, it always is. And I know that's not the case for everybody who goes to the GYN, but I actually yeah. enjoy going and seeing you every single time. So thank you well, thank again. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. My it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. Well, just want to, you know, give you a give you the floor and give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, you know, why you started into some of this work. Okay, yes. Um <clears throat> so I always wanted to be a doctor from the time I was a, a teenager because I, I loved science, but I, I loved biology and I felt that my love of biology would translate best into medicine as opposed to doing research or something else like that. Then when I was in, in medical school, <clears throat> I thought that I would want to be a pediatrician. I just thought that it fit my personality. And then when I did my pediatric rotation, I did not love it. So then there I was in medical school, not sure what I wanted to do. I'm part of medical school. Thank goodness is that they make you rotate in quite a bit of the specialty so you can actually see. And I did OBGYN and I loved it. And it surprised me that I loved it because it was never on my never on my radar. So I did it. I remember the first day on rotation. It was so exciting that that like I I, I was like deer in the headlights, but in the best possible way. I was excited. I wanted to see everything. And after everyone went home, I still stayed there for several hours because I wanted to watch it delivery. I wanted to see. I wanted to know. It was it, it was. It, I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was so exhilarating. The whole rotation was fantastic. And then I knew that this is what I wanted to do. But like most doctors, I went through that period of time of, oh my gosh, being an OBGYN, that's such a hard life. You're up all night. Could I do it? Should I do this? I should pick something else. So most of us kind of go through that depending on, on if it's going to be one of those specialties where you're up all night. But then in my soul, I said, if I do anything else and not the thing I love the most, I will not be happy. So if I'm going to be up all night, okay, fine. Then that's just what it's going to be. <laughs> and I did it. And guess what? I, I still love it. 13, almost 14 years later, I still love being an OBGYN. That is great. And, you know, like you said, between the dentist and the GYN's office, I, I think know, oh my God. are these favorite. <laughs> Correct. The only thing that would be right up there, the podiatrist and maybe having a colonoscopy. Those are all just oh, not well, yeah, it. I, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think you put you to sleep, so I think that might be okay with right. that. Right, <laughs> but yes, I, I totally get it. Coming to the gynecologist is, is not fun. Now, when people are pregnant, it is a, it's, it's more fun. They want yeah. to see you because you can see the baby, but certainly coming in for a gynecological visit, everyone just cringes. You you don't you don't you don't want to do it. 
So what, you know, this might be a weird question, but as for you, I mean, you're still a woman. You still got it. You still have to do your GYN you know, visits. Right. So you have to find your own provider to do your GYN. I know. That's a great question. Who does your GYN <laughs> see as their GYN? So funny enough, most OBGYNs will usually, you have a partner or two in your office that you're really close to that you're friends besides just being colleagues. And usually that's the person that you, you would you would see because you're both in the office. So you could say, oh, I'm going to do your girl check date. You do my girl check tomorrow. And then oh, we just, right. And it just it works so easier that 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 way. So that's what most OBGYNs uh, do. Oh, good. Myself good. included. <laughs> that's good to know. That's okay. <laughs> I was like, maybe she does it or they do it themselves. Who knows? No, no, <laughs> I mean, it was just ergonomically it'd be very hard to do it yourself. Even though you know what to do. Yeah. And speaking of ergonomics, I, you know, those, please, I know you've been in the field for a while. Can you advocate for us and get some different like handles for the feet and, you know, like a board, like it feels like you're on a hard board table with these yeah. metal claws that come out and they're cold. Like, can we get something nicer? I, I, I know that's the thing as, as OB-GYN females, we would all love something nicer, but you know, the, the funny thing with that is that a lot of these things are regulated by OSHA and stuff like that. They have to be hard. They have to be metal. You have to be able to sterilize them. You have to be able to clean them because they're surfaces that are exposed to secretions and blood. So anything that we would do to make it cuter, we are not able to, to do it because it has to meet these standards, which means hard and cold and metal. Got it. Are you able to see me? Oh, I lost you. I hear you, but I lost your voice. Oh. Or lost your I actually didn't do anything. Um, oh, okay. Nope. There it is. Yeah. Well, good to know. And I knew that was probably yes. the answer with that when right. I had to ask. That was, that was on behalf of all of but us. But that's good. I'm sure <laughs> other people have that burning question, like, why does it have to be cold metal? Stuff? <laughs> right? <laughs> There was even a time I remember my old office that we started putting like socks on the stirrups to make them warm and oh, yeah. cute and we would change the socks. And then even that they said, no, because it's a nexus for infection, you can't sterilize. And even if you're changing the socks between patients, that wasn't good enough. So we still couldn't get cute and comfortable. It had to be back to the metal speculum, the metal stirrups. Eight. I guess safety over everything. Yeah. Over comfort, I know, but especially when it comes to women's health, which is so frustrating. It is. It would, you know, nice to know about your story and your background and, you know, how you got into the field. It's always interesting to see how people fall into, you know, their career and if they enjoy it or not. And so definitely you have yeah. to enjoy what you do, especially if you started your yeah. own, you know, started your own company. So, yeah. Switching gears a little bit, I just want to, you know, hint on the the whole topic is what is endo or endometriosis as we call it uh, yeah. from provider's perspective. Of course. All right. <clears throat> so like you had mentioned before, so so endometriosis is a, is a, is a disease. It's a disorder. People don't make themselves have it. It, it just happens and we, we don't understand why it is this way. But essentially what happens, I'm going to use use my hand. So your, your uterus is that little organ that's shaped like a pear. On the inside of your uterus, there's that soft endometrial tissue. It's the tissue that's shed every month when you have a, of a period. And then what's left is the muscle. So the muscle never sheds, but that lining sheds. And what happens to some patients is that that blood tissue lining ends up inside of the abdomen instead of just being inside of the uterus. 
And when it's there, it causes all sorts of abnormal things to happen because it, it should not be there. Now, your uterus is a very special muscular organ that's meant to hold that blood, deal with the shedding, deal with the swelling, all of that sort of stuff. But once that tissue is inside of your actual abdomen, your abdomen was not meant to have that kind of, of tissue. So what you get is a, is a whole host of symptoms and complications. So a lot of patients will start off first, you know, having really bad menstrual cramps because not only are you bleeding the blood that's inside of the uterus, but then the blood that's in the abdomen makes that uterus cramp a lot more. You can have a, then later on patients end up getting just, just pelvic pain in general. So you're no longer on your period, but you're cramping all the time like you are on a period. Some patients will then sometimes feel bloated all the time, nauseated all the time. Some patients start feeling pressure on their bladder, discomfort when they're having um, a bowel movement. Some patients will have painful sex. And you can have 10 patients with endo, and each patient can have a different combination um, of, of symptoms, which is why sometimes it also makes it hard for us to diagnose endometriosis because not every patient presents um, in, the, in the same way. And then the question that's asked is, well, well, how can blood and tissue hurt so much? That doesn't even make sense because when it's in your uterus, it, it, it doesn't hurt your uterus. But when you look at it under the microscope, essentially what's happening is that 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 tissue. So let's say my hand here is the tissue. When it adheres to the walls inside of the abdomen, it's it's kind of drilling and digging into the walls on a microscopic level. Now, when this happens in your uterus, your uterus is built for that, right? It's built for that tissue to hold on like that because essentially that tissue is waiting for a pregnancy to hold on to. But when it's in the wrong space inside of your abdomen and it's grabbing onto things, then it causes inflammation and it causes constant pain. It's equivalent to someone walking in a dusty room and the dust makes you sneeze all the time. The dust is the endo you sneezing all the time is your pelvis constantly being inflamed, irritated, trying to clear this thing that, that should not be there. So that's how something as simple as blood and tissue can be so painful because it's pathology inside of the pelvis is very different than when it's inside of your uterus and it's meant to be inside of your uterus. And then <clears throat> the different types of pain that patients get can be because the endo can be in different locations. Sometimes it's in the pelvis on the outside of the uterus. Sometimes it's on top of the ovary. Sometimes you'll have an implant on top of someone's bladder. Sometimes you can have implants around the rectum. And then in rare cases, you can have endo much further away up into the abdominal cavity. Sometimes you can find it under someone's diaphragm. And weirdly enough, there've been studies where they found endo in someone's lungs you know, in their nose, um, in old incisions, like in, in the in the in the belly button. So there are there are several theories as to well, 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 why do we find this endometrial tissue in a different spot? So one theory that seems to make a lot of sense is, you know, here's your uterus. You have your fallopian tubes coming off of the of the uterus, and so we think that when you have your period, instead of all the blood coming out vaginally, that some of it backs up into the fallopian tubes and finds its way out into the pelvis because that is the opening. Your pelvis and your fallopian tubes are open because the ovaries are there. So we think that that is one way in which endometriosis occurs. And there is another theory <clears throat> that there is um, what we call lymphatic spread of endometrial tissue. So 
we all know of the circulatory system our heart beats and pushes blood you know to every organ you know from the tip of our head down to our toes but but there's another system called the lymphatic system and, and this is the fluid that kind of bathes our tissues if you've ever had like a tiny paper cut and you see it kind of oozing clear fluid, but it's not actually bleeding, that clear fluid is lymphatic um, um, fluid. And there is another set of vascularity running alongside the blood vascularity that helps to clean and bathe those cells. So one of the theories is that some of the endometrial tissue gets into the lymphatic system and that system, because it goes all over, then we think that it deposits the endometriosis in the pelvis but could also account for why you can have endo in such weird places like in someone's lungs because there is no connection between your lungs and your uterus at all there's several layers of muscle diaphragm several you know your lungs are insulated triply insulated so it would not make sense that blood could just back up from your fallopian tubes and get all the way to the lung but that is 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 one theory but unfortunately our, our knowledge is still in the early stages, right? We're still learning all this stuff. So these are just the, the, the two theories as to how endometriosis um, uh, occurs. So the problem in medicine is when we do not understand the why, it is, it is, it is hard then to come up with a, a permanent fix to something because you don't, if you understand the why, you can stop it before it gets to that point. But at this point, we still don't understand the why. And even in this presentation, you can have patients present in such different ways. You can you can literally have a patient who says that she does not have um, pelvic pain, doesn't have um, painful sex. She has no symptoms. She goes and gets a uh, appendectomy done because her appendix is ruptured. And, and when the surgeon is in there, they see her pelvis covered in endo. They take pictures, send her to the gynecologist. We look at the pictures and say, "Oh my gosh, you have bad endometriosis." And the patient is like. Well, I don't, I don't feel anything. I have none of the symptoms, all the stuff that we mentioned before, none of them. And then you can have another patient <clears throat> that has horrible periods and you look inside of her abdomen and she has just a few bits of endo. So even in the presentation of how much endo there is, how patients feel and their symptoms can be so varied from the person who has a lot of endo that we can see and have little symptoms to someone who seems to have a small bit of endo and yet their symptoms can be quite profound. So again, these are all things that, that make endo very hard to diagnose and very hard to treat because there is such um, uh, variation. Now, when I was giving all of the symptoms, I think I can't remember if I said too that patients can also have uh, painful sex as well. And unfortunately, when you are in pain all the time, what, what we find is that it affects your mental health. People tend to have higher rates of depression. And sometimes you also start getting more anxiety because you hurt all the time. So then you, you just you don't feel right and then no one can fix it. So then that makes you also not feel right. So then it becomes a, a never ending cycle. So you tend to find that women who have endo and women who have chronic pelvic pain, you have higher incidences of, of depression and sometimes higher incidences of anxiety um, as well. So what what is the incidence? So you did mention um, you know, worldwide, how many women, you know, and these are numbers in, in the millions in terms of percent. When you read the textbook, it, it's all over the place from 10% of women all the way up to 30% of women. And then when you start looking at women who actually describe themselves as having chronic pelvic pain, anywhere from 50 to 80% of those women, you are going to find endometriosis. So why are these numbers all across the board? Because unfortunately, there's not one central database that every doctor puts in the name of their patient that has been diagnosed with endometriosis or the name of your patient who has chronic pelvic pain 
So the problem is, is that there's no one, there's no one tracking the numbers. So when we say 10 to 30%, there's such a big variation because we're looking at what's documented, trying to extrapolate, you know, to add in for all the patients unaccounted for states that don't report it, places that do, doctors that do, doctors that don't. So the number is probably even even more because they're going to be people who've never even been diagnosed who do have endometriosis and a large percentage of patients who have chronic pelvic pain who have who have endometriosis. So that's why those those ranges from 10 to 30 percent, 50 to 80 percent are so are so wide because of what I just um, described. So how do you diagnose endometriosis? So based on everything I've said so far, as you can imagine, right, because we're saying you know, we, we don't know what how why it happens. We, we just kind of observe the symptoms, and and endo is very hard to diagnose because unfortunately, all of our imaging, ultrasounds, CTs, even MRIs, oftentimes do not show the endometriosis is there. So you'd be saying to yourself, this doesn't make sense. Like you get an MRI, it shows something is wrong with your back. You can get a CT to show that you have. Um, appendicitis. So, so why is it that all of these amazing types of imaging don't show that someone has endometriosis? Because the way how all those images work is that they work best when you have a, 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 a an organ that has a 3D structure. You know, so your appendix is, is a tube. Your your spine is a is a circle. The problem with endo is that the lesions are are flat and and wide. So our imaging, it, it just it just doesn't see it. Now, if, if someone has a collection of endometriosis on one of their ovaries and they have an endometriosis cyst, we can see that because ultrasounds can pick up cystic structures and then there's a certain way that endo looks on ultrasound that we can see, but that is the minority. The majority of patients, it, it's not in a cyst on their ovary. It's scattered on the sidewalls, in the pelvis, these flat, sometimes broad lesions. And so the patient gets an ultrasound at the urgent care. They see nothing. Patient goes to the ER, gets an MRI. They see nothing. You go to your primary care doctor. They do an exam. They don't feel anything. But because of how the implants are, our imaging does not show it. And so, unfortunately, in medicine, the problem that you have is that when imaging doesn't show it, then people are like, yep, that's it. My job is done. <laughs> Great. You're not dying. You don't have appendicitis. Leave the ER, leave the urgent care. So, so the diagnosis of endometriosis is very, very nuanced. So patients are not going to come in the office and say, I have endometriosis. Typically what happens is that patients come in and say that they have pelvic pain. And then it is our job as OBGYNs to start going down this, 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 this tree of trying to figure it out. And unfortunately, I, I can tell the audience here that most OBGYNs, chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis is, is like one of most people's least favorite topic because it is so amorphous. There's so many different ways it could present, so many different ways that patients could describe it. And because we don't have imaging that gives us the answer right away, a lot of OBGYNs, you know, you uh, internally, you just pull back because you're thinking, oh, this is going to be so hard. It's going to be so many steps, whatnot. And then some people just, even though we're all trained OBGYN, some people just didn't get as much training as others. Some people, their focus is more obstetrics, so they're great at obstetrics and not that great at gynecology. Some people are really good at doing a pap smear, but when it comes to things that are more nuanced, that may not be their, their thing. The other thing that also happens too as well, depending on where you live, 
is that you might not have an OBGYN in your area. So you're seeing your primary care doctor, the urgent care doctor, the ER doctor, and their knowledge is even less than the average OBGYN. And so a lot of patients, again, also don't get the right workup, don't get the right strategies because they're not seeing an OBGYN. And even when they do see an OBGYN, depending on that person's skill set level, what they're, you know, what they remember from school, you may still not get the right answer. So let me give you an example. So fibroids, it's a whole different thing from endometriosis, but fibroids are growths inside the wall of the, of the uterus. Patient comes in, periods are heavy. You do an ultrasound. She has a 10 centimeter fibroid. Great. You have your answer. You tell the patient, here are the five things we can do for fibroids. Pick the thing you want to do. If you don't love it, we can do something else. But with endo, it's not that easy. Oftentimes, patients have to come back several times while you do the workup trying to figure out what it is that's causing the patient's um, pain. Because in addition to endo, things like a urinary tract infection, interstitial cystitis, which is a chronic bladder condition of which a large percentage of women with endometriosis can have interstitial cystitis. Um, those can cause chronic pelvic pain. If someone is developing irritable bowel or Crohn's disease in, in the lower part of their intestines, it can give you very, very similar pain. So when the patient is, is telling us that they're having pain, then you have to think of all, all of these things it could be and, and then come up with a strategy that makes sense to figure it out, which can be very frustrating for patients because it is not a, I have the answer right now. Oftentimes what happens is the patient gets an ultrasound and their ultrasound is normal. So then most doctors, we will start doing swabs. We're checking for UTI, checking for sexually transmitted infection, trying to ask, you know, history that would make us think one thing or the other. Is it is it bowel? Is it is it bladder? Or or is it endo? So there's all this talking, all this testing that has to be to be done. And then you're left with a patient where you're thinking this could possibly be endometriosis. And then we have to give patient the horrible news. I think you have endo. I can't make a definitive diagnosis, but here are the things that we do to try to figure it out. And those options are you can take a patient to surgery and look in their abdomen and, and see if you see the endometriosis because it does have a very specific look to it. In the past, that was the, that was the main strategy. But over time, the American College of OBGYN has become more nuisanced in even having us just run patients to the OR because what we now understand is that early in the process of endometriosis, Sometimes the implants are so small, microscopic, that you can go in surgically and you don't and you don't see anything. So now the patient's had a surgery, you found nothing, you put them through a surgery, patient is upset, you tell them to go see their primary care doctor, but three years later, another gynecologist looks and, and this patient's abdomen is full of endo because it because it, it it grows. It starts small and then it grows bigger over time. So surgery is not always the, the fix. Now, if you go in and there's lots of implants. You have your answer and essentially what you do you excise them you burn them you remove them as much as possible within reason because if it's on someone's bladder or your intestines you can't burn those areas but other areas of the pelvis you can remove it you can strip it you can take it out and patients do feel better but surgery is not the end-all be-all which is why now it's also recommended 
that before we take patients to surgery or or when we suggest it, that we also suggest the patient the following thing. If you have a patient who is not on birth control, you should try to put her on birth control because, and I know a lot of people don't want to be on birth control, but the thing is that birth control can actually slow down the progression of endometriosis and also can sometimes help with the pain. So if you think back to what we what we started with when we first think, well, how, how does it happen? You're having your menstrual flow and the blood kind of backflows and goes inside instead of coming out of the vagina. So the, the thing is that when most women are on birth control, you tend to have less blood flow, lighter flows, and you, sometimes you can even get people to, to not bleed at all. So by decreasing the total volume of blood, then, then the thought is that you're decreasing the amount of blood that eventually gets back up into the patient's abdomen. And then when patients are on birth control, your hormone levels, instead of it's normal, big cyclic, when you're on birth control, you're usually in a very narrow range of, of hormonal changes. And that endometrial tissue on the inside is responding to your hormones just like it would inside of the uterus. So it stops the breakdown and shedding inside of the, of the pelvis. So one strategy is to try to put that patient on, on birth control and try to control the pain primarily with anti-inflammatories and less with narcotics, because now we've understood that, of course, we've, you know, we've made people become addicted to, to the narcotics. <laughs> if you had a patient, and, and so patients sometimes don't, don't want to hear that because they're frustrated. They're like, I, I have this pain and you want to stick me on a birth control pill. But what we have to explain to the patient is that we're trying to figure out what it is that you have while making your symptoms better. So if you put this patient on birth control and a lot of your symptoms get better, almost always the patient does have endo. So you've kind of made the diagnosis, but more importantly, the patient is feeling better. Now, if you have a patient who was who was already on birth control and they came in having all these symptoms, well, then obviously putting her on birth control isn't going to work because she's already on birth control. So you can offer the patient the, the second thing, or if you have a patient who, who didn't even want to do birth control, she was on nothing, the next set of medications that are also recommended that we offer first line there are these products called GnRH agonists and antagonists. So I'll just I'll explain what that means. Essentially, these are medications that we give that put your ovaries to sleep. They shut your ovaries down so you are not making estrogen. Essentially, it makes you menopausal. I know that sounds hellacious, and you're like, why why would we do this? But if you think of again, how did the endo get there? You were having a period. The blood was you know kind of going out through the fallopian tubes. If you shut your ovaries down, you're menopausal, guess what? You're not having periods anymore. So no periods, you're not making new endo. And then without the estrogen coming from the ovaries, essentially all the signals, all the changes that the endo have that goes through every month, those signals are gone. And so the endometriosis, not only does it get quiet, but it, but it regresses. It's equivalent to dropping water on a cube of sugar. The water is the, is these, are these medicines. And the sugar is the endometriosis. And as you drop the water, it slowly disappears and, and dissipates. And that's what these medications do. So the medicines can do over time what you, what you could do during surgery. Or, again, remember, if you're doing surgery and the endo is so small you can't see it, you, the surgeon, can't do anything. But these medications will work no matter how big or small uh, the endo is. So it's our job as OBGYNs when we suspect that someone has endo, this patient has chronic pelvic pain, very bad periods, bloating, nausea every month, worse with the cycle, that we think, could this patient have endo? And explain to the patient clearly 
why it is that we're offering not just to do surgery, but to consider birth control if they're not on it or to consider going on one of these GNRH products. So again, one of the other difficulties with endo compared to other things that we take care of in gynecology, for example, if someone comes in with a bladder infection, you give the patient antibiotics, they take them and it's over. The problem with endo is that it, it's not a fast or one-time fix. It can take multiple visits before you even get to the part where you think this patient has endo. And then once you get there, now you're telling the patient, I have to, you got to try to put your birth control pills. You got to do the surgery or go on this medication that, that makes you menopausal. And the medicines do have side effects, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, mood swings. But, but these side effects are all temporary for something that we're trying to fix that's really serious, which is, which is endometriosis. And then the problem is that once we make the diagnosis, whether patients do surgery or take the medication, most patients, this is going to be a lifelong issue. So let's say someone does surgery, we clear all the endo. It's recommended that after the surgery, you still put that patient on some of these meds that I mentioned before. Or if the patients are on the meds, they stay on them for longer periods of time. Because when you do nothing with someone who's already diagnosed with endo, what typically happens is that within two years from whatever it is you did, the endometriosis comes back. So unfortunately, it is a chronic issue that patients are battling with, which then often frustrates patients because they, they feel that it's never done, it's never over. So it takes a long time, several different doctors, ER visits, this and that. Finally, you find the gynecologist who listens, who figures it out. You have the diagnosis and now it's an ongoing thing of either constant birth control, taking the GNRH products and, and intermittently having surgeries. Now, again, we want to be careful that while surgery, you can really clean out a lot of endo. And having repeat surgeries in of itself can also make patients more at risk for injuries and, and that sort of stuff. So I want patients to understand that that surgery is not the end all be all. It is not the, the permanent fix. Now, once someone is done with childbearing and they're completely done, who wants to stay on birth control or medicine that makes you menopausal forever? No one, no one does. So the final treatment for, for endometriosis is to have a hysterectomy. And I, ideally to tell the patient, consider taking their ovaries out or just let them know that if you leave them in, you may have pain for, for a couple of years. But the purpose of taking the uterus out is because the uterus is the thing that's making the endometrial tissue that gets back into your abdomen. So if the uterus is gone, endometriosis, you will not make new endometriosis now the thing with with the ovaries whether you take them or leave them if someone has endo and there's microscopic disease there and you do the hysterectomy and you leave the ovaries the ovaries may stimulate the the residual endometriosis that that is there so patients you have to tell patients that sometimes you can still continue to have pain but the good news is for those patients is that then you can put that patient on one of the, the medicines the gnrh product to shut down the ovaries temporarily when that endometriosis dies, then no more can come back because your, your uterus um, is, is gone. So unfortunately, the treatment for endo is, is, is very, multi even getting to the diagnosis is multiple steps. And the treatment, unfortunately, is multiple ways of making the diagnosis, a couple ways of treating, and then there has to be constant ongoing um, uh, management of, of the endo. And, um, Sometimes too, back to making the diagnosis of, of endo, I, I think some, sometimes what happens also with, with patients that sometimes 
patients aren't telling their doctor to the extent of, of what is going on or you don't tell your doctor that changes over time. So a great example is you meet a patient at 25. Dr. Ashby, yes, I, I get cramps. I take a Midol, I'm good. Okay, so with that, it, it would not make me think this patient has endo. But now at 30, the patient is finishing a bottle of Midol every day, but she it doesn't dawn on her every time she sees me to say, hey, Dr. Ashby, my cramps have gotten worse. And because a couple years ago when I asked, she was just taking a small bit of Midol. So sometimes we as a doctor, we don't remember to ask the questions again because we assume that our patient will tell us. And sometimes patients just, just forget. Or as women, you think, well, this is just normal. Or my mom and my aunt, they all have, have bad fears. So sometimes what happens is that as things get worse over time, we just live with it. We just deal with it and, and, we, and we forget to say it to our doctor. But on the flip side, I will agree that we have we have clinicians that don't listen the patient is literally telling them that every month they're crying over the toilet in pain vomiting bloating sex is painful and they're like yeah that's that's just what it is so so I, so definitely part of the blame is on on us but but sometimes as women we forget to tell our daughters or we don't we don't say how bad it is because we don't want to sound like we're whining and we we don't want to sound like we're needy and we, we need to be strong and my grandmother lived with it so sometimes you just you have to be just very honest with your doctor, especially when there has um, been a change. And then definitely the other thing that I see a lot is that patients are going to the wrong person, right? Horrible pain. They've been to the ER six times in the last year. It's pain in the pelvis. And in that year, they never saw a gynecologist. Are they going to the urgent care all the time because their their bladder doesn't doesn't feel right or their their pain having bowel movement? The urgent care checks your urine, doesn't ultrasound, everything is fine. So, so sometimes too, you're going back all the time to the general practitioners when you should get to the gynecologist's office so that someone could realize, no, you don't have a UTI all the time. This seems like you have endo with some of it in your bladder, right? So, so it's, it's a combination of, of, of multiple, multiple things. Yeah. It, this is why I love you because you explain things in such a simple and calming way. But the thing is you communicate very well. And I think, you know, that is important to know. And like, to, once you find a provider that, that is able to do that, I think that kind of it puts you at ease because being on the other side, you're already frustrated. You're already in pain. You're upset and you got to take time off of work for all of these appointments. And yes. so patient side we're just bouncing around from place to place and when you pass yes. I think it goes to communication both ways I think that's what you really alluded to communication from the right. of how long this can take and communication from the patient on what they are experiencing and kind of documenting that and I think that's yes. very very important and key to kind of um, pinpoint right but as a woman I, I absolutely understand that frustration right into the ER five times you had normal CTs, but but yet not none of your ER doctors have said, hey, you should probably go see your gynecologist. Because the problem with our medicine, especially in this country, is if imaging is normal, the person isn't dying, bye. And, and that's that's not it. Our job is not done until the patient feels 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 better. That's great. Yeah. So as you know, just you know, in general, for when we're looking at you know vaginal health and just kind of taking care of ourselves as a woman, um, you know, what are 
I guess, what are the things that we should be doing so that we can catch, you know, if we have endo or fibroids or anything early, like what should we be doing? Gotcha. Okay. Well, so, so the most, most important here is that I, I would love everybody, please see <laughs> that I'll just at least once a year. So that, that will kind of circle into like, okay, pap smears. Okay. So there, there was a time in this country that it was recommended we do a pap smear every single year, but what a pap smear is, is that procedure where you're seeing your doctor and you know we put the speculum inside the, the vagina and we swab your cervix and we send that off to check for cervical cancer. Then there came a point sometime in the last decade where the American College of OBGYN said our password technology is so good, the result will is good for at least three years or five years, depending on the type of pap smear your doctor does. So now patients don't need a pap smear you know, once every three or even every five years, or people could choose to continue to do it every single year. So then the, the problem with that is that patients and some doctors interpret that to mean that patients don't need to have a visit, which is incorrect. Women from the age of 21 need to have a breast exam every single year. And even if you're not doing a pap smear, someone still needs to do an examination of your vagina and still feel your uterus. Because even though you might not get cervical cancer from one year to the next, you could grow a mass on the ovary. You could start having fiber. You can start having pelvic pain. So patients are actually still supposed to do a gynecologist once a year, even if you don't have a pap smear every single year. And so that message was, it, it was so very unclear whether the American College of OBGYN said it. If you actually read their bulletin, they said you can skip the pap smears, but patients are to have a visit every year with their gynecologist to discuss contraception, da da da, have a breast exam, et cetera, et cetera. So then what you have is then patients who come to see their gynecologist every year, and then their neighbor's like, no, nah, my gynecologist, I don't have to come in for five years. And so they haven't seen their gynecologist for five years. Meanwhile, she's growing a fibroid or developing endometriosis. So ideally, patients are supposed to still come once a year. And if patients choose to skip the pap smear as long as their doctor had done one that was normal, either the three-year version or the, or, or the, or the five-year uh, version. And then if you have a, a change, write it. All of a sudden, you were doing great on your birth control, and now you suddenly started cramping every single month. Write it down so when you see your gynecologist, you can actually you know, explain that, document it, write it out so that when you're sitting in front of the person, you can kind of explain to them the change that um, that has uh, occurred, and then and then don't be shy. Again, I, I totally understand. Sometimes as women, you, you don't want to say your period is heavy. You don't want to say you had an accident. You don't want to say that you know sex is 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 painful. But if you if you don't tell your doctor, then then we we don't know. And as doctors, you know we should be asking questions. But sometimes it just doesn't come up because you're talking about so many other things. So don't be shy. There's nothing you'll tell your gynecologist that they haven't heard before. If you feel your gynecologist is not listening, is rushing you out of the office, not taking time to explain or, or, or make it make sense, go find another gynecologist. Which in Tampa, that works because we have a lot. But unfortunately, I also do understand that in many parts of the country, there is a shortage of OBGYN providers. Great, great advice. And one other thing I have you know, to ask and, and, and to, you know, ask you is, are, you know, after, you know, is there a certain race or ethnicities that are higher risk for, you know, endometriosis, fibroids, 
um, things like that, or like our, or we pick hereditary, you know, is this, is it hereditary? So I guess kind of some things that we should kind of be alert to. To right. So, so with the endo again, because our reporting is, is not, everybody isn't reporting. So that there doesn't necessarily seem to be a one racial group more than, than the other. But certainly what you will find is that people, you know, with lower socioeconomic means often tend to be diagnosed at much later stages of endo and tend to have uh, poor, poor treatment and less resolution of their pain because they, they can't take the time off. There's not a gynecologist for three hour drive from their home. They can't afford the surgery. They can't afford the medication. They can't afford pelvic or physical therapy. So what you find that there is the social economics certainly play a big role with endometriosis. Now, when it comes to fibroids, of, co of course, across racial groups, you, you tend to find fibroids in everyone, but you do tend to find more in African-American women. They tend to grow bigger, faster, and we tend to need more aggressive surgeries, more so than any other racial group, at least here in America. And again, we don't really understand what that is, but certainly with fibroids, you do see that racial difference for sure. Great information, and thank you for explaining that. And I think it's important. You you mentioned a lot about um, you know finding the right the right provider and making sure that you're not only you know documented and being honest to your provider, but also making sure that you feel comfortable that that provider is meeting your needs. So when we right. look, you know, like support um, and advocacy and support is is more what you also mentioned about you know mental health, which is a huge huge part of you know. I mean, I think of any chronic type of pain, your body yes. is physically not doing okay. So how is your mind going to do okay? So in that, do you have, you know, I guess any advice or any information as far as support and advocacy um, that we we, sh we should be, you know, either joining certain support groups or is there, you know, anything that you would recommend? Of course, right. So so certainly if you, if you, if someone already has a diagnosis of endometriosis, Sometimes it's it's hard to talk to your girlfriends who has like a perfect period, right? She just she just never can understand, and then you feel like you're just harping all the time. So certainly people who already have the diagnosis, like support groups, like Facebook groups, you know, Google Meetup groups, like groups of other women who are who are already diagnosed can be a good source of support, and people can exchange ideas, tips, and tricks, and and things that they've done beyond just the traditional medicine. Like someone, oh, I did acupuncture found it very helpful. Oh, maybe I'll try acupuncture because of course there, there are all these things off the beaten path that do work for some people. And sometimes it is it is very hard to have that conversation with other women in your life who, who've never even had a painful period. Now you're talking um, about endo, uh, endometriosis. And then some other great avenues. So if you already have the diagnosis, but, but you feel like I'm still in pain. Okay, my doctor made the diagnosis, but I'm really not being listened to. In most big cities, there's almost always a university setting that has an endometriosis specialty clinic. So for example, in Tampa, USF, they do have an endometriosis specialty clinic. There is also another specialty clinic in Orlando, I think it's an Advent Health um, Hospital that has a specialty clinic. So when we say specialty clinic, this is all the gynecologists there do. They do all these intense surgeries. A lot of times they're also doing research on new medicines, new products, off-label use of current medications, where you kind of, everyone there, this is all they do. So you're not in between the, the pregnant patient, the person who's coming in there for their pap smear, 
these centers, this is all they focus on. And then another one, you know, within reasonable distance that I've sent some of my patients to is a specialty clinic um, in, a, in Atlanta. So for the person who's already diagnosed that you feel that you, you just, you feel like, am I being managed the best or I still hurt? Is there something else I can do? You can ask your doctor to send you to one of the specialty clinics or you can self-refer. Now, some of these clinics, though, if someone just has pelvic pain and you don't have a diagnosis, some of these clinics will not see you. You have to be already diagnosed by your doctor or get a referral from, from your doctor. But some of them will let patients refer themselves. So you can kind of, you know, go in, in your area, look for an endometriosis specialty clinic. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have good, you know, regular, like me, bread and butter, OBGYNs, who, who wouldn't do a good, good job. But it's sometimes harder to tell with your standard OBGYNs because when you look on our websites, we we all would will say we take care of fibroids, endo, pelvic pain, we do OB, but but not always would someone say on their website, oh yes, I love taking care of endometriosis. So sometimes your general OBGYN, it's hard to tell. But those specialty clinics, because they're literally called the Endometriosis Center, Center of Excellence in Endometriosis Care, they literally have endometriosis in their name because, you know, all the doctors, the staff, everybody that works there, all their focus is on um, uh, endometriosis. And then when people are searching online, while well, Google can give you a lot of good information, <laughs> people anybody can post anything on google so we, we want people to then use official websites say the american college of uh, OBGYN. there's another you know or, um college for reproductive uh, medicine there's an endometriosis association so we want you to use medical sites so that you're getting the appropriate information and not just getting someone's opinion on how much they hated being on the medicine that put them into <laughs> into menopause and, and, and while it's good to hear that and it's good for for people to vent oftentimes patients are hesitant to try a treatment because someone had a had a bad response but for every medicine including Tylenol you're going to have a few people have a bad response and then a lot of people that are that are totally fine so you also have to take that kind of content with a grain of salt and you have to be careful when you're just randomly googling things so definitely kind of medically based websites Great. You've given some great information and I'd like to, you know, I know we're gearing up to our time here and it, you know, you, you've really spoken really a lot of detailed information about endometriosis, about, uh, you know, just signs, symptoms, as well as, you know, finding a provider, being able to talk and, and speak up about, you know, what you're going through and any changes in your health. Um, you also talked about just, you know, overall, you know, woman's health and how often we should be going to see a provider um, and, and getting checked on to to ensure that we, we don't have anything. Um, and if we do, that we're, we're getting the proper care. Um, also mentioned some great websites and associations and making sure that we, you know, go through medical advice um, websites as well as, you know, you know, professional uh, websites so that we can get the right information that we can make informed decisions. Um, also, it's important the support and finding those supports. You mentioned lots of tribes. Facebook is definitely one of those, um, as well as some of these associations have other tribes, yeah. um, Association for Endometriosis, things like that. They have other um, ways to meet people that are maybe going through the same journeys as you. So very yes. kind of find that support. Um, and yeah, I wanted to hand it back to you just to see if you have anything as we're wrapping up, just um, any other bit of advice um, 
know, simple advice for us. Yes. If you're, if you're having a symptom and it seems extreme, don't, don't just live with it. No question is silly. Bring it up to your doctor. If your doctor can't give you a good enough explanation other than this is just how it is, <laughs> then, then you need to see someone else. And, and as women, we, we also need to stop telling other women, hmm, everybody has cramps up, oh, everybody has painful sex, mm -hmm. right? Because, because sometimes it's, it's us saying that to another woman that stops her from, from bringing it up to someone else. So, so we need to, we need to stop. If you're crying on the floor every month, you need to tell someone. If your periods are, are so heavy that you're having accidents, you need to tell your gynecologist, you know? So if something is really extreme, please say something to, to the right person. And in that case, that would be all your gynecologist. If you feel your gynecologist isn't listening or helping, find another gynecologist. Thank you, Dr. Ashby, for that. And so Thank I want you. to see, you know, where, where can people find you? I know you do have your websites and your, your business, the gentle hands, OBGYN.com. And, yeah. and I also saw that you have Facebook at gentle hands, OBGYN. Is there any other place that I missed? No, that, that, that's perfect. So, so I have an office in Wesley Chapel. It is an office that, that I started myself on, unfortunately, or I fortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it. So, so I, I have so many wonderful patients who follow me over the years that it now takes four months for patients to come in and see me. So I have stopped taking brand new patients. However, the other um, providers who work in my office, so Dr. Kristen Wikowski, Dr. Matthew King, and I also have a midwife, Miss Molly Barnes. They're all fantastic. I, I handpicked each of them. I would send my sister or my mother to see either of the three of them. And so if, if someone is looking for a gynecologist and you live in Wesley Chapel, please call my office. You will not get to see me if you're a new patient at first, right? Because I'm, I'm taking all the time to see my old patients, but you will get good care in our office. You'll wait. Yes. But then when it's your turn, you'll get all the time attention. We take our time. We try to explain, order everything, practice at the standard of care. And we, we try to make sure that our patients are very well cared for. Great. So thank you. Do you have any final shout outs or thank yous that you want to? Oh, well, I want to thank you so much for having me on my first podcast. Like that, that bad. <laughs> that, 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 that's amazing. And I would definitely want to shout out my entire office of Gentle Hands OBGYN. My staff is amazing. I've worked with them for over 10 years. They came with me from my old office and we could not have an exceptional office without all of them. Oh, amazing. And they are very, very amazing. And thank you to them as well. So they have been great with me every single time I've gone in. Oh, um, thank you. So I'll definitely be letting you know when this when the show is coming out. Um, so if anybody out there has anything that they'd like to maraud on for, you know, our next episodes, um, please make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore culture, that underscore marauders, or like us on Facebook at, at the culture. Uh, culture marauders you can also email us with a specific topic at the culture marauders at gmail.com um, also check out our website we are going through a couple of new changes and adding up some different services and kind of taking a little bit of a different route um, but still sticking with with culture and equity and, and diversity and ensuring that we we give everybody a platform to hear their voice um, and also we'll be doing a part 
uh, a second part of this uh, where I'll be telling my story of endometriosis and actually have my husband on who has been my support um, through this whole journey. And it's very, very important to make sure that any person you know, is going through any sort of chronic condition or disease um, or health issue that, you know, or just any personal issue, uh, you know, having that great supportive um, person in your life. And so we'll be kind of having a little Q&A of, you know, how what he's learned and how he's been able to help um, me as I've gone through, you know, my own endometriosis journey. So as always, um, one culture, one blood, one love. We'll see you next time.